Hey, it's Brian, and I'm here with another bonus episode. Breaking away from the main action of the podcast, as I like to do from time to time, when I have something special to share with you. 2018 is shaping up to be another very big year for the world of Christmas podcasts. Is it the big breakout year? Well, only time will tell, but we've seen the runaway success of Deck the Hallmark. And by the way, check out the episode where I join them to discuss Christmas on Honeysuckle Lane. We've also seen the formation of the first ever podcast network dedicated to Christmas podcasts, of which yours truly is a founding member. You've heard me mention the Christmas Podcast Network here throughout the season. And we also have several new Christmas podcasts for younger audiences, including a new audio drama. Longtime listeners of Christmas Past will recall that I absolutely love audio dramas, especially those from the golden age of radio. If you haven't discovered an old-time Christmas radio show called The Cinnamon Bear, you might want to Google that after you listen to this episode. You're in for a real treat. But audio dramas have made a big comeback in podcast world. Thanksgiving Day saw the debut of Welcome to Tinseltown. It follows the adventures of a little girl named Holly who finds herself transported to the magical place called Tinseltown where it's Christmas every day. And with the help of some colorful characters, she works to make it back home in time for Christmas. I had a chance recently to catch up with Jenna Noor and Adam Ganong, two of the show's creators, to get a behind-the-scenes look at the making of a new Christmas adventure. So tell me about how all this came together. Sure. So um, we were actually approached by um, our producer, Dave Kiney, who um, is uh, a podcast producer, I guess. He owns um, his own media company now called Triangle Content. And we were um, approached by him about making a Christmas show. So he came to us and that was literally the pitch. It was, I want to make a Christmas show for all ages and everything else was up to us. Uh, which was awesome. We had written one audio drama previously, um, but this was our first real chance to let our imaginations run wild. The actual storyline was just a lot of brainstorming, basically. We have recording of some of it, but we kind of went our separate ways, came up with general ideas for things we would like to include, uh, then came together, bounced them off each other, and just kind of slowly sculpted it into uh, what it became. I guess there were there were a few kind of observations that we had early on, um, and one was that it was really important to us that the protagonist be um, a young girl, um, just because when we were going through kind of the shopping list of the Christmas specials that stood out to us from our childhoods, um, we found that they all had either men or young boys at the helm. Um, so we wanted to also flip that script a little bit. It was really important to us from the beginning that um, we have uh, a female protagonist and, and that she was really creative and really innovative and really inventive. So we added in little touches of her like being a problem solver, her being interested in making things and doing things with her hands. Um, because I think just in like wider storytelling, um, those kinds of characters are really needed right now. Um, so it was a great opportunity to kind of blend those two things together to have a new Christmas story about a little girl who um, is, is I guess, able to kind of work toward her own resolution um, with the help of friends, of course. But um, yeah, someone who is a story or a problem solver in her own right and not just always waiting for things to happen for her. So um, that was definitely our driving force in writing Holly. And 
everything just kind of fell into place. She became a very fully realized character for us fairly early on. Um, and it became easy from there to think like, what would Holly do? What would be the kind of decisions she would make? And um, yeah, we really just went with that. And one thing you did that I found interesting was that you released all seven episodes on the same day, like something Netflix does with its shows. What was the thinking there? Yeah, so Dave was the one who uh, decided that we wanted to binge release it, basically. So the the idea being that uh, we wanted to write something in such a way so that you would feel drawn into the next episode. And then rather than having to bank on people coming back and listening every week where we're like relatively unknown, just let them listen to it all at once. Um, we, we knew the timeline for when we wanted it to be done. So it was just a simple fact of just make sure all seven episodes are done for that time, release it, let them listen to it all at once. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we would, we will, we will see, we will see how this one performs, but we would definitely like to do, uh, more in the future. I don't think the entire story of Tinseltown or Christmasland is over. There's lots of fun, interesting things and characters to explore there. Mm -hmm. Definitely some characters I feel like should get a little bit more, uh, Screen time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Air time, I guess, not screen time. <laughs> yeah, and the um, just going back, touching back quickly on the point of releasing all the episodes at once. Um, so we did strategically release them on American Thanksgiving, knowing that um, the United States, which is a market that's like 10 times bigger than the Canadian market, was going into a four-day weekend. So there would be a lot of time to be together with family, a lot of time to just like binge a new podcast before you get back into the, like the routine of life and like the craze of the holidays. Cause I know that I know that for Americans after American Thanksgiving, like it's Christmas and everything kind of kicks off. It's a little bit different in Canada because we don't have that like clear marker right at the end of November for when it begins. Um, but yeah, that, and that weekend like was very, very successful for the show. I think for that reason, Folks had time off. They were home with their families. The pace was like a little bit slower. Um, so it was, and that was actually Dave's idea to release it at that time. And I think it was like a very, very good idea because now that we're like in the Christmas season, we have uh, this really great audience who are now recommending it like beyond to other people. Like, oh, now I'm in the Christmas mood. That reminds me of this thing that I listened to at Thanksgiving. You should also go give it a listen. So, um, yeah, it's like growing all the time, which is crazy. It's been out for um, a couple weeks at this point, but we're still finding like new people who are coming across it, who are leaving us reviews, who are tweeting us about it. So um, it's just, it's a very nice feeling, I guess, um, to know that it's, even though we did drop it all at once, it's it's still like in its life cycle, basically. It's still, people are still coming across it. And like with a show on Netflix, like you said, they can hear the whole story at once and they can sit down and they can listen to it at 15 minute chunks, chunks if they want, or they can just take a couple hours and enjoy the whole thing like a nice long play with seven acts. So, You know, what I've always loved about audio dramas is how much visual information can be conveyed with just sound. How did you approach all of that while also writing for a younger audience? Um, middle grade is definitely, um, it's not necessarily an audience that I had written for before, but it's an audience that I had worked with before. Um, so when I was in university doing my undergraduate, um, I volunteered at a middle school, which was an age group that I was like totally uncomfortable with. I had like very bad memories of my own time in middle school. Um, so I was kind of like, 
I don't know what these kids read. I don't know what they're into. I don't know what they're capable of. Um, but see, I was just really inspired, I guess, by what they were able to to do and um, come up with. And it led me to, I guess, a few conclusions, which is that kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. Um, but there's also certain details of stories for kids that um, are not important, but are important in adult storytelling. So your logic doesn't have to be soundproof. Things can happen because they just happen. And like your explanation for why something happens can just be because of magic. And and your audience is just like, okay, ready to move on to the next thing. They've expected that they've accepted rather that magic is behind it and they're like okay let's let's keep moving so it was kind of balancing those two things I think in writing for middle grade was writing to um, our smartest young audience not assuming that kids need to have a story spoon fed to them um, but also understanding that there are certain things you don't need to dwell on um, and kind of having to make like that was like 99% of the editing process was just like, is this too overcomplicated? Can we simplify this to help the story move forward? Um, basically, if I was in middle school, what what would I want a story? How quickly would I want a story to move? Right. And then in, in terms of the audio stuff. So I, I'm a trained audio engineer, so I had some ideas about that. Uh, going in, but we still, it was a learning experience because there's a couple things that we did that we could have done better. For example, you've listened, so you're familiar with, there's a narrator in it. And then later in the show, the narrator was a character, but that was a little bit of a technical nightmare for me at points because I did all the mixing and editing stuff because you need to always have a clear difference between the narrator's voice and the character's voice because it's the same voice. Um... And then other than that, it getting like the descriptions and kind of making things feel visual. Let's talk a little more about Holly. How did you develop that character? To me, Holly is like, um, this is not like explicit in the show, but in my mind, she's kind of like a Girl Scout in the sense of like always prepared, very independent, very like solution focused, um, always looking for like how she can be helpful um, either to like solve her own problems or solve the problems of somebody else. Um, so we we really kept that focus as we were writing her. Um, and we got a really good piece of advice actually in the editing phase, um, which something we, we didn't initially realize when we wrote Holly is that she asked a lot of questions instead of giving a lot of answers. Um, but a character who asks a lot of questions um, isn't really characterized very well and doesn't allow a lot of room for uh, like growth because all you know about the character is what they don't know and not what they actually do know. So that was something we did like very early in the editing process was flip the script so that Holly was providing a lot of answers rather than asking a lot of questions um, because it didn't initially come through how we had envisioned her. And that was something that like never even occurred to us. Um, until we brought in Alex Ryu, who was our script editor, who has experience um, in in script writing and in the theater and things like that, which we don't necessarily have a lot of experience in. Our background is in podcasts, um, so that was one that was one thing that really really strengthened her character was seeing her more as the person who who gave the answers, who who like solved the problem rather than pointing out that the problem was there. 
And she finds herself in this classic story scenario where a protagonist is taken out of her normal environment and then she has to make it back home. Uh, why were you drawn to that for this story? Obviously, one of the like classic story structures is the hero's journey, right? Main character leaves home, learns something about themselves while they are away from home, and comes back changed but like different or better. Um, and that story, tried and true as it may be, is one that I really enjoy. Like I, if I think of examples of the hero's journey um, in pop culture, there are always stories that I really like, that I really buy into, that I get really sucked into. Um, so it felt like a bit of a natural structure for us. Um, and another thing, again, about the hero's journey is that um, in pop culture, it's frequently young men who go on these journeys and it's rarely young women. So it was another interesting chance for us to take that story structure that we both really liked and um, put it in front of a new audience with um, some new faces who have their who have their own kind of um, twist on on what that journey actually looks like. The ultimate conclusion of the story um, is that Holly has a great amount of love for her mother and her grandmother. And it's that bond and that like love and respect for the other women in her life that puts Christmas land back together. Now, I understand that some of the elements from the story were inspired by your own real traditions. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I have a few examples, if you don't mind me. Yeah, go first. ahead. Yep. So there were a few kind of like direct one-to-one -one parallels between things that happened in the story and things that happened um, in like on Christmas or around Christmas during my childhood. So the most significant, I guess, is the tin soldier ornament. Um, not that mine is like magical or a bridge to another world or anything like that. But um, one of my favorite ornaments growing up was a little tin soldier. And it was an ornament that my dad had had since he was young. Um, and we still hang it on the tree. We just decorated the tree like a couple days ago at my parents' house and put it up. Um, but there was just there was always like a little bit of a sense of mystery around it when I was a kid because I was like, oh, this is something that my dad had when he was a kid. So I am like putting it on the tree now. But there was a time in my dad's life when, you know, he wasn't a dad and he was just a kid putting a tin soldier ornament on a tree. Um, and so there was always that little bit of like mysticism around it when I was a kid because it had like a storied history that I wasn't there for. Um, so when it came time to pick, um, you know, the character that would be the bridge between the two worlds, my mind immediately went to the Tin Soldier and it's basically been a Tin Soldier since the beginning that never changed in rewrites at all from our initial idea to the actual execution of the show. It was the little Tin Soldier. And so I posted a picture of him on my Instagram a few days ago. Um, and people were like, oh my gosh, it's Remington. It's it's the tin soldier from the show. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and another was, this is like a one-liner in the first episode. But um, Holly talks about her mother's favorite mug being uh, a mug that has a toad in a Santa hat. And it says mistletoe, which was not a mug that we had, but it was a brooch that my mother wore every year on Christmas. It was a little toad with a hat that said mistletoe. So I figure I include a reference to, uh, you know, my father. I'll include a reference to my mother as well. So Mistletoad uh, made the show. Yeah. And then I guess I, I didn't have any like direct ones, but a lot of the feelings of like um, in the episode where they're very, very excited on Christmas Eve and uh, shaking presents 
and just kind of wondering what's what's going to come next uh, that came through. And then other than that, a lot of my preferred Christmas movies as a kid were were uh, like uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Those sort of um, like stop motion animation movies that are like very popular. Um, so a lot of a lot of my ideas in writing and then also writing the music for it, I think, were directly influenced by by those. And I also understand that your hometown has a unique connection to Christmas. Yeah, so this was actually like an interesting parallel that uh, we didn't realize until later. We were like, oh, man, we have some uh, some big shoes to fill. We're following in quite uh, in quite some big footsteps. So um, here in we're from a, a city called Fredericton, New Brunswick, which is on the east coast of Canada. And um, there was a wealthy family that used to live here called the Odell family. And the patriarch of the family, Jonathan Odell, uh, moved here from New York and he was friends with Clement Seymour. Um, so Clement Seymour, of course, famously wrote A Visit from St. Nicholas, which would later be called Twas the Night Before Christmas. And um, Clement Seymour would come visit and it's believed that he would tell the story to the Odell children. Um, and the Odell family estate actually owns a manuscript of A Visit from St. Nicholas. It's disputed as to whether or not it was an original one um, because it was in his wife's handwriting. But it's one of, I think, the like four oldest manuscripts of that story that um, exist. And it's in our provincial museum, which is very exciting. So, yeah, every year at Christmas, they bring it out and they put it on display. And like you can go see it for free. Like they put it outside the museum you don't even have to have like pay admission to go see it or whatever. They want everybody to know that it's there, basically. Um, and I've seen it and it's it's quite it's quite cool, actually. This this like, you know, arguably the most famous um, Christmas story that's still told like and is just so pervasive in, in Christmas culture has like uh, like at least some part of its origins here in like our tiny Canadian city. So that was pretty cool. Well, Jenna and Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Best of luck with the show and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Brian. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Brian. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation, and I hope you'll check out Welcome to Tinseltown. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Next time, we'll be back to the regular action of the show. Until then, let me remind you that if you review Christmas Past on Apple Podcasts, I'll be happy to send you a sticker and a handwritten note of gratitude. Just email me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com with your Apple Podcasts username and a mailing address. You can also contact me through the contact page at christmaspast.media. Check out the Christmas Podcast Network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com and please join me again next time for another story from Christmas Past.